As Andy said, my wife and I are here this morning back from North Dakota in the USA, which everybody asks me where North Dakota is, and it's right in the middle, right at the top, which means it's very cold. So um, it's nice to come back to warm weather, um, <laughs> mildly warm weather. But no, my wife and I are both on staff at a church in Bismarck of about, of about a couple of thousand people, um, a growing, vibrant church. If you remember, a few years ago, Pastor Josh, who was our lead pastor of the church, came and spoke to this congregation and gave a great message. He's leading the church there, and it's growing, and it's exciting, but it's just an honor to be on staff there and to, to be working in that church. And to, But the, the best thing is to come back here and see what God's doing in at my home church, the church that I grew up in, and it's phenomenal to see this kind of growth, and uh, we're believing and we're praying that this is just the beginning, and the best is yet to come in this place for everybody and for people's lives. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a preacher, so if I start, like, pacing, open your Bible. No, I'm joking. Um, so, um, yeah, so we just want to encourage you guys. It's great to be back and see some familiar faces. Hopefully, it won't be too long again that we come back, and, yeah. Is there anything else you want me to add, Andy? You want, you want me to pray for you? All right, then. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you have done in this church. God, but we, we ask right now that you would just come and do immeasurably more in this place, God, that, that the people who are here, their lives would just be changed radically by you, God, that they would be able to find hope in hopeless situations, they would be able to find restoration in broken relationships, God, that they would be able to find healing in this place, God, because it's your name that has the power to save. And so, God, we just ask that you would come and you would change hearts, you would change lives. Father, I thank you for uh, the leadership that you've given to this church, and thank you for the wisdom that you're giving to them. And God, we just ask that you would continue to have your hand upon this church, God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we've got the uh, privilege and honor to have Michael Swinburne speak with us in our Just Jesus series. As he gets kitted out with all the electronics, uh, uh, we're going to pray for you. And uh, excited as he comes to share, is this morning he's sharing on uh, love like Jesus. And I know we're post-Valentine's Day now, and we had a great weekend last weekend, but love is for every day of the year, isn't it? So, um, Michael, thank you, mate. Let's pray for you, Mike. Let's pray for us that we'll have open hearts to hear this morning. Father, we thank you for Mike. We thank you for Em. Thank you that they're such a gift and blessing to this church in all that they do and the encouragement that they bring. And as Mike comes to uh, stir something up in our hearts this morning from your word, we thank you for what he's prepared. And Lord, I thank you for what you've prepared. And I just pray that we would be open to receive all of that stuff in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you as... I am most weeks, <laughs> but um, are we all right, sir? Ah, oh, brilliant, thank you. It's good to be here again. <laughs> um, yeah, so as Andrew's just said, I'm going to share this morning a bit about love like Jesus. Um, this, this is kind of a cool topic to talk on, I think, because there's, there's so much to dig up. Um, and it was one of those things that I kind of had to condense a little bit, because when you, when you read the Bible, when you look into the life of Jesus, there is just so much stuff to take away from it of how loving Jesus is and was and, you know, forever will be. Um, So I just kind of put a lot of uh, ideas together and I I broke it down. I've come up with um, a few things, really, that I think 
will speak to us as a, as a church this morning. I hope that they'll speak to us as a, a church this morning. Um, I know when I think about my own life and, you know, the things that Jesus has done in that, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed to, to have a relationship with him. And it's, it's hard to single out, like I say, you know, just one specific example. So I'm going to try and share a few things this morning and hopefully, uh, yeah, it will speak to us. So the first thing that um, I thought about when, when I started to think about, and the one thing that, that probably hit me more than anything, um, is Jesus showed compassion. And this is a huge word. It is quite long, and uh, literally. But it, it, it's got massive, massive implications. It, it holds so much within it. According to the... Uh, so the dictionary definition, compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. That's quite, that's quite massive, isn't it? I'll read that, I'll, I'll read that just again so we, we sort of grasp that a little bit this morning. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate suffering. So compassion, there's, a, there's an awful lot to, to, to talk about with this, with this little word. Um, I once heard it preached that, that God doesn't care about our emotions and our feelings. And I believe that to be absolute rubbish if I'm honest, okay. It was one of these things that I heard, and it made me really angry. I believe that we are a people made in the image of God and to be like, like him and like Jesus. And Jesus showed feeling. He showed emotion throughout his ministry. And one of the things that, that often cropped up was this feeling of compassion. And um, if you want to, to get your Bibles out or whatever, you can. Um, I, I will put this up on the screen. Matthew, sorry, sorry, it's not very clear. Matthew 15, verse 32 says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse. Here's... Jesus has been, has been, he's been doing his thing. He's been healing people. He's been setting people free from all sorts of things. And it gets to this point where the, the crowd that were with him of roughly 4,000 men, and that's not including women and children and all that, have, have been tagging along with him and listening to him. And Jesus looks at them and says, I have compassion for these people because they're hungry. They're hungry. And this, this is one of these things that when you start to apply that word, compassion to it, it starts to, to mean an awful lot. Jesus looks at the people and is moved with such deep sympathy and sorrow at the fact that these people are likely going to feel the misfortune of being stricken by hunger and it may cause them to collapse on their way. That it's not only moved with a strong desire to alleviate that suffering of a rumbly tummy, but he actually does something about it. And 
there lies in one of the biggest keys, I think, that when we, when we start to feel compassion in our hearts for other people, that we need, to, we need to jump on that and act. Because this is one of the, I believe, one of the keys to loving like Jesus. It's not only feeling that emotion, feeling that compassion, but it's doing something about it. And, and Jesus is moved with this sympathy for these people that he does something about it. He gets together these, these seven loaves and these, these couple of fish at this point, and he feeds all of them. And this is one of those things that I just think, man, these people, they're just hungry. They could just go and get their own food. But Jesus sees that need. It's a very base need. It's a very basic need of ours. But Jesus sees that need. And he meets it. He feeds them. And I, I don't necessarily believe that this, the whole point of this was to do a miracle at all. Although it is an incredible miracle. It's one of these things that, you know, it blows your mind. Feeding 4,000 men plus the women and the children with just seven loaves. That, that, is, that would do Tesco's out of business, wouldn't it? It is a truly amazing miracle. But what we're, we're seeing more than that is the love that Jesus has for people. The fact that he sees people's basic needs, the need for food, and he satisfies it. That, that is, that's massive. That's incredible. And it encourages my heart because it means that he sees that for us as well. He sees our basic needs, our very basic needs. The, the things that we may feel are almost slightly insignificant at times, he meets them. And he does think something about it. Jesus is moved with compassion for us in that way. In Matthew uh, 14, 14, it says, When Jesus landed, that's from a boat, not an airplane, um, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And a bit further on, in Matthew 20, verse 34, it says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight. And followed him. So not only does Jesus meet our very basic needs, the need to alleviate things like hunger and all those simple things, but he meets our physical needs as well. He has compassion on these people. He sees the people that are, that are sick, that can't walk, that have leprosy, that are blind, that are deaf. And he is moved with deep compassion to do something about it. And again, he not only looks at them and, and feels sorry for them, but he does something about it. And again, when you start to weigh this up, he's doing something massive with this. Yes, it's incredible to let somebody have their sight back, but it's more inc- incredible to, particularly at this time, to give them their sight back so that they can then go and work and then satisfy their own needs. They can go and earn and they can look after themselves again. There's always more to what's going on with Jesus, and it, it's incredible. It blows my mind. He makes our situations so much better because he sees our basic needs and our physical needs, and he's moved with such deep sympathy at our misfortune, and he does something about it. In uh, Luke 7, verse 13, we see how Jesus meets our needs in times of desperation. This, this one is incredible. When the Lord saw her... His heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the, the bear. Beer. Uh, they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. 
The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. A little bit of background to the story. This, uh, this lady that he sees is a widow. And again, back in the, the time that this story happened, um, the, the, the man is obviously dead because she's a widow. That means her main source of income, her main sort of thing of survival has, has gone, okay? It's died. The, she has to try and, and, and support the family, which then means that the son is now the breadwinner of the family, okay? He supports his mother. It's just one of those things at the time, okay? Women didn't necessarily do the work and earn and things like that. So not only is her husband dead, but now her, her secondary, her second place of income has died as well. This woman is now destitute. And, you know, Jesus looks at this woman. He sees the, the tears of not only sadness and grief, but the desperation. How on earth is she going to survive? How on earth is she going she gonna to make money and, you know, and, and live a, a reasonable life? And Jesus sees the tears of this woman and what's gone on. He sees the, the desperation in this situation. He feels compassion. He sees the misfortune. He's moved with such deep sympathy. And again, he does something about it. He goes up to the boy and he, and he heals him. He brings him back to life. He tells him, young man, I say to you, get up. And the boy starts talking. He gives him back to his mother. And that mother not only gets her son back, but she also gets her life back. She gets a standard of living back as well. Jesus is compassionate. And that is one of those things that I think as a people is is one of those things that we need to apply to ourselves. I think one of the biggest... um, ways that I've ever seen this um, is actually my own family. My, um, for, for those of you that, that, that don't know, this is, um, this is my sister Jess, um, and you may notice that she, she doesn't look anything like me. There is good reason for that. She is adopted, obviously. And my mum and dad, they, uh, back in the day when Sir Bob Geldof uh, was doing his thing with the, uh, the, the, the Live Aid and the Band Aid and all that back in the early 80s. And he started showing all these images of children that, that were lacking parents, food, and all this sort of stuff. My mum was watching the telly. And I think like most people at the time, they were moved with compassion. They saw this, this suffering in the world. They saw something that wasn't right. These people that should not be going hungry. These children that should not be starving. And, and living in the conditions that they were. And they, they, they felt that deep sympathy, but they, they did something about it. My mum got on the phone. Um, she called, I think it was Christian Aid, I think it was called at the time. They wanted to do it through a Christian charity, and they, they gave them a call and said, we would like to sponsor a child. And uh, the, the, the guys that they spoke to just said, that's incredible. We would love to take your money from you for the, for the children. And they, they sorted this out. And at the end, I think it was towards the end of the phone call, they said, just so you're aware, we get an adoption license in a year or so. Would you consider maybe looking into that, praying about it, and just see where, what you think? And um, my mum said, yeah. And I don't really think that they thought they'd hear anything further from it. They, they, they decided they were going to sponsor. But lo and behold, a year or so later, they got a phone call back from, from the charity just saying, just so you're aware, we've now got an adoption license. Um, would you consider it? 
And my mum and dad, they, you know, they're, very, they're very kind and very wise people. They, they are my heroes. And if you listen to that, mum and dad, that's a 50% pocket money pay rise. Um, they, uh, they were moved with compassion and sympathy at the misfortune of, you know, of, of these children and these other people. And they, they prayed about it. They obviously considered me and my brother and what it would, would mean for us, you know, taking in another child and not having a child naturally. But they felt that it was something that they could and that they should do. And even to this day, that, that blows my mind. They, they decided to not only feel that, the emotions that are stirred by watching these images on your telly box, but to do something about it. And, and there we go. We have my sister. And uh, they had to fight for it. Um, in the end, uh, Thatcher's Britain actually stopped her coming into the country for nearly four years. And my mum and dad were so moved with compassion that they actually went to court and, and fought to get her and to, to give this one child a quality of life, to give her education, to give her food and all the things that she could possibly want and need in this life. And more than all of that, to love her, to take her into their house and into their family and to make her one of her own, their own. And... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it blows my mind. Now, not everybody can do that sort of thing. You know, it's not one of those things that maybe that we can all do. But as a people, as human beings, we will be moved with compassion. And I would challenge us this morning to think, how can I act on that as well? How can I not just feel the emotions of that? How can I not feel that tug at the heartstrings when I, when I see this? You know, but how can I... Do something about it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's for you to, to decide. But I would challenge you to act. To act, to, to be like Jesus in that and to do something about it. There is a great charity called Compassion, um, which I would recommend. Um, me and Emily support this. And I know a few other guys in the church do as well. But it's worth just getting on, um, on the internet and, and having a look at that. Maybe it's something that you feel you can do. But... What can we do the next time we're in that situation where we feel the need to, we feel the compassion and we feel the need to act? What can we do? The second uh, point that I want to bring out is, uh, is to love like a child. Now, this is a bit of a, bit of a funny slash strange one, um, but it's something that I've always, it's always stuck with me. I remember hearing a, a talk about this in church when I was, when I was growing up. Um, uh, about how um, we should we should be child like children, if you like, not childlike, but like children. And in Matthew eighteen, excuse me, verse three, it says, "He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven.' Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now bear with me a little bit on this. Obviously, when you read a few verses in front of this, you, you'll get to see that actually what was going on was the disciples were having a little bit of a bicker amongst themselves and, and were talking about who would be the greatest in heaven. You know, I think that their egos were going that day or whatever. And they just wanted to know who Jesus thought was best. And Jesus takes this child and just says, unless you were like this child. So again, I just love the fact that Jesus says very, very little, but implies so much. And uh, 
I believe that one of the things that, obviously this, this has got a lot in it. It's about being, you know, having faith like a child and all of that sort of stuff. But I do believe that living like a child is one of the attributes that Jesus would have been talking about. Um, so I thought it might be interesting to get a child's point of view on love. So being the only two children that I could accost at the time, you stuck with my two kids, and um, yeah, this took a little bit of bribery to get this to work, but hopefully this will come up. It's really powerful, and it's really strong, and it's really, and it can cuddle people, and you can kiss them. I love Daddy because he makes me dinner. I love Mummy because he makes me breakfast sometimes. I love Uncle Coggins because he plays with me. And I love Reuben because he's my best brother. Oh. Ruben's actually her only brother, as far as I'm aware as well. But, uh, but yeah, it was great tr- sitting the kids down. And uh, that, that clip was only about 40 seconds long, but it took about 40 minutes to get all of that. Um, but it was great asking them who they love. And, you know, Ruben, he's, he only really loves three people in this world, if you, if you try and get it out of him. He only loves Boaz, Christopher, and Noah. Um, we're, we're trying to get him to love us as well, <laughs> me and Em. It's, it, we're not quite there, um, but uh, one day, one day maybe he'll love us like he loves his friends. We'll, we'll see. And for those of you that went to where he does love dinosaurs. Um, so yeah, I, I learn a lot from, from my kids. I won't tell them that right now because it'll send their egos into hyperdrive and whatnot and they'll be wanting treats all day. But um, when it comes to love, my, my kids teach me so much just by being who they are they can love someone or something so fiercely and they do not care what anybody else thinks about it you know and and that that's a challenge that is that is a challenge they they are not ashamed to say that they love their friends Reuben will wander around the house just going, Daddy, I love Noah. I'm so, yes, can you love me with that same affection, please? You know, he, he will just, he'll walk up to, to my brother and he'll be, Uncle Coggins, because they call him Coggins. They'll be, I love you, Uncle Coggins. And, and again, I'll just, please love me like that, Reuben. But they, they, they are not ashamed of, of who and what they love, you know. And it's, that's a challenge. To me, that is a challenge. As, as I grow up, I just think, you know, it's one of these things that I, I think as people, maybe, maybe it's just me, but we kind of play it down a little bit. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't like to show out. We're British, aren't we? We don't like to show our emotions and affections in, in public or anything like that. But what I love about my kids is they don't care about all of that nonsense of, you know, position and status and the fact that we are English. You know, they, they just love they, they just have such big hearts, and they just love things and people. And they tell me, occasionally, they tell me, I love you. And it's one of these things that I know 
for, for me and Emily, we, we consciously decided that we would make that something that is spoken in our house. And often as well, we would tell our children often that we love them. A, because we do, but B, it's, it's one of those things that we need to hear it. We need to be told that we're loved. Because if you're not, it's all right going, oh, but I'll show you I love you. Those three little words can change lives. They really can. And, uh, and the fact that that is one of those things that is said in, in our house, I think it's great. Our, our son, Ruben, so I, I will talk about my kids a lot at the minute. I, do, I don't apologize for that, actually. Uh, he's uh, developing this telepathic capability, I think. He's, uh, his mind is far bigger than most uh, children's. He walks up to me and goes, Daddy, I love you too. I haven't said anything to him, but he knows what I'm thinking, obviously. Um, and it's, it's really funny to see it, but it, it is great. He just walks up and he's, he's constantly saying, I love you too, mummy. You know, and uh, it's, it's lovely. The, the humility and the meekness of, of, of children, it, it's astounding. They, they are just naturally humble. They are just naturally, they, they will put somebody in front of them, even when they're competing with each of the, you know, schools and sports and all that sort of stuff. They still love and have that, that compassion, that humility for others. And uh, one of the biggest qualities I do believe in, in, in children is their, their power to forgive. It, it, and, and this, I think, when it comes to love, is one of the, the biggest things. In, in an instant, they can forgive somebody just as if it never happened. Um, a few weeks uh, ago, um, just, just a bit background to this story, uh, my son goes to uh, Long, Longmore Nursery, and uh, he was telling me one day that what they have is, for, for the naughty children, they have what is called the red spot. And if you are naughty, you are sat on this red spot. So I did say to him at the time, well, make sure you are never on the red spot. Lo and behold probably a day later, um, Emily comes home and she says, Reuben's been on the red spot. And uh, for those of you that, that, that know them well, uh, Reuben and, and Noah, they, they do have this, this, this uh, I won't call it love-hate, it is very much a love-hate-love, hate-love-hate-love relationship. And uh, the, Emily obviously said, you know, to the teacher, I think Laura was there as well, you know, what, what, what's he been on the red spot for? And uh, Em came home and was relaying this story to me. And, and I, she said, he's been fighting. And it's one of those things that as a parent, you just think, oh, no. And I said, who's he been fighting with? And she went, nowhere. And I said, oh, it's fine. She says, it's all right. <laughs> you know, it, it's going to happen. Maybe we should have pre-warned the teachers, you know, <laughs> don't worry about it. But they do. They have this ability to go from being very loving towards each other, to, to battering each other, you know, quite violently at times. But within seconds, it's forgotten about, and they're playing with each other again. And, and that is one of those qualities. It baffles me. I just think about how often maybe I, guilty, fall out with people, or people rub me up the wrong way. And how long it takes me to forgive people. Because as I think as we develop and we grow older, you know, we, and, and our minds expand a little bit, we bear grudges. 
You know, I think, I think we, do, we, we, we bear grudges. We hold things in our heart for far longer than we should do. And, you know, we just think, yeah, all right, I forgive them, but they'll do it again. You know, and, and, and that, can be, that can be poisonous to our hearts, and it, it can stop us living in that childlike way. And um, I think some of those, you know, we need to get back to, to basics. We need to get back to some of these basic principles that we, we see in Jesus teaching that are completely rooted in love and be like children. Not childlike, but be like children. Children have this c- capacity, I think, that they can love far bigger than their body. Okay, they're, they're, they're just all heart, you know, and it, it is brilliant. But we need to get back to that way of thinking. Otherwise, what can happen is we, we become self-involved. We start to grow up and we become more conscious of ourselves and we start to look out for me rather than other people necessarily. Um, we lose the ability to forgive. And like I say, we, we bear grudges and, and we hold bitterness in our hearts. And uh, we start to lose that meekness and become less and less submissive to, to God's will. But we take, we take the initiative and uh, we go with what we want. And we ask God to bless that rather than saying, how can I be a blessing to God? And, uh, you know, we, we ask him to, to help and serve us rather than that being the other way around. Um, we can become obsessed with our own self-importance and elevating our station and our position and that we develop this tunnel-like vision, if you like, so that all we can see is what we want and where we're going and what we want to do. And before we know it, that big heart has become a nipple. It's, it's become so tiny and so, so small that, you know, we're, we're losing part of what it is to love, or an awful lot of what it is to love. We need to get back to those basics. We need to humble ourselves and never lose those childlike qualities and live in a way that is so much bigger than our body. I believe that is what Jesus is calling us to do when he says to be like a child. Which brings me to, to kind of my third and final point that I'd like to explore very quickly, and that is... Uh, to love unconditionally. In Romans 5 verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I really do love my children. I think they are absolutely fantastic. They, they do mean the world to me. But there are points in, in their daily routine that drive me up the wall. Okay, you probably won't believe this because of my lovable, cuddly nature, but um, they have the ability to send me into such a, you know, a temper that it, it, it often shocks me. Um, it's, you know, it's a bit like the Incredible Hulk, except that I don't turn big, muscly, and green. I just kind of go already purple and, uh, yeah, look a bit insane. Um, and what happens is with our, with our children, we, you know, we kind of, we, we shout and we, we sit them on the naughty step or the naughty corner or whatever's available in the room at that time. And we go through this process of, uh, of you know, telling them that they, what they've done wrong and, you know, that they need to be sorry for it. And we do the hugs and the kisses and, you know, tell them not to do it again, but we remind them that we love them as well. Now, 
I know full well that although we've just been through that process, there will be some point, quite possibly within the next 24 hours, that Reuben is going to walk up to Lacey and pull her hair just because it's attached to her head. And Lacey, for um, no other reason that, than that she can be bothered to do it at the time, is, is going to do something to antagonize Reuben. She will tell him he can't have something. She will tell him, you know, not to do this. And she does it to wind him up. It's quite clear that that's what she's doing. Um, and, and she'll do it to the point where he starts to lash, lash out. And you go through the whole cycle again. They're doing something wrong, and you've got to go through the rigmarole of sitting them on the naughty step and telling them off and sorting them all out again. And I know that that is going to happen. I know that it's coming. But do I love them any less? Of course I don't. Partly because I know that sort of behavior doesn't stem from my side of the family. But it's because they are my children. And I I can't help but love them. And we have a God who loves us so much. He knows that we are going to mess up. He knows that we will get life sometimes very, very wrong. But does he love us any less? He can't. He doesn't. We're his children, and he loves us with such deep compassion and, you know, and desire that he can't help but love us. And yes, sometimes we need the discipline, and we need to be be told, you know, that this is wrong. And sometimes, you know, we, we, well, always, we need to, to ask forgiveness And yes, quite possibly, we will get something else wrong along the way. And Jesus knows that. But in that verse, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us with a a love that is so big, so huge, that it almost doesn't matter that we're going to get it wrong. He just loves us. He wants us to get it right. But he knows we won't necessarily all the time. Now, loving my children... It's easy, like I say. It's one of those things that whatever they throw at me, um, I'm still going to love them. But what about everybody else? What about those people that aren't my family, that it isn't necessarily natural to, to, to love them as such? What about our friends? What about our work colleagues? You know, what about that person who actually winds you up just by being in the same room? Because if we're honest, there sometimes are people like that that just grate on us, that, you know, rub us up the wrong way. And sometimes they don't have to do very much, bless them. What about those people, you know? And there's the challenge, to to love unconditionally, like Jesus loved. Um, Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48 says, You have heard it said, um, that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you, are, um, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
I'm not going to lie to you, that is a tall order. That is a really tall order. Love your enemies. Those people that often seem out just to get at you, love them. And don't just say, yes, I love you in Christ and all that, you know, flowery nonsense that we throw about. It's loving them. It is loving them in a way that Jesus would love them. Pray for those who persecute you, those people that that constantly antagonize you, that that are trying to rub you up the wrong way, to to provoke you into some sort of reaction, sometimes just for for the sake of it. Pray for them, and that's not, you know, pray for them that something equally as bad happens to them. That is pray for for blessing upon them. That is hard. That is hard to do. If we're honest, that is one of those things that we need to, to seek God for and ask for his help in that. But this is the sort of stuff, this is revolutionary love. This is the thing that will change lives. It will change our lives and our own hearts, but it will change theirs too. And that is... That is unconditional love. That is loving somebody because they are somebody. Even when they hurt you. You know, to pray for somebody who's constantly grossing you down and and all of that stuff, it is difficult. But Jesus said, you know, when asked, you know, what are the greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? It's everyone around you. We're, we're called to love people in the way that Jesus did. In John, 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Who is our brother and our sister? Well, they're the same as your neighbor. It's everybody. It's everybody around you. That, that, is, that is huge. That, that is huge, to lay down your life. That's, that doesn't always mean, you know, that you will die for somebody, but that might mean that you put somebody else first. It's laying down your priority and your position and who you are for the sake of somebody else. And that is not always easy, and it is a huge challenge to us, and it's a huge challenge to me, definitely. I'm definitely nowhere near that, that standard at all. But, but the challenge is there for us, and it's, it's all there in the Bible for us to read and to, and to look at. Three of um, my, my favorite musical heroes, the band DC Talk, once wrote a, a song love, um, called Love is a Verb. And we heard really well last week how, um, from Ruth how there are all these different things that go with love. Um, but I'd just like to tag on to that great message that, that love is also a doing word. It's an action. It's one of those things that it's not just feeling the emotions and all of that sort of stuff that goes with it, but it is doing something about it. You see, Jesus was loved. Jesus loved and was moved with compassion. And compassion brought about action. He didn't just feel it. He went and did something about that as well. Jesus loved like a child, making himself Lowly and humble, slow to anger and very quick to forgive, loving bigger than his human, you know, his human body. The capacity that Jesus had to love far, far outweighed the size of his human body. He loved like a child. And Jesus loves us unconditionally, despite all our failures, despite all the wrongdoing, And there are good times as well. But despite all of that, you know, he died 
the cruelest death in our place. He did that for each and every single one of us in this room. And that is the sort of stuff that boggles your mind. It's incredible, and it is a big challenge to us. We are called to live like Jesus. Now, I'm just going to quickly throw on one last side. I did this very quickly this morning, but um, I just felt, I don't know why, but I just felt it, it really important to, to, to throw this on there as well. I don't know if you can see that too well, but um, it's a quick snapshot from uh, the weekend. And as already been said, Jordan and Leanne were married um, here in this building, and it was, it was an incredible day, you know, to, to, to share with them and seeing two people come together and you know, that that are so evidently in love with each other. It was amazing. But the thing that grabbed me a little bit more about this was that is church. That picture there is church. It's not just those two people. It's it's the people at the front. It's the people behind. It's that is church. It's people from all sorts of walks of life. And they're all together. They're coming together. They're people that don't fit necessarily with each other in social groups. And that is the one thing that I have started, or I'm trying to start to love more and more about church. We are a family, as Andrew said earlier this morning. And this is going to sound incredibly rude, but an awful lot of people in this room, I wouldn't talk to you necessarily other than being in this room. You know, our lives and paths necessarily wouldn't necessarily cross outside of this building. But what I love is the fact that we are church and we are together. And it does mean that, that people meet, you know, from all sorts of walks of life. And that is church. And the final thing that I just want to shove onto this is that church is the bride of Christ. You know, as, as Jordan met his bride, Jesus comes to meet his bride. And that is us. With all our oddness and all our loveliness and all our strangeness and all our beauty and and all of that thrown into one iggledy-piggledy bride mess that is called church. Jesus loves it. And this is a challenge for me, I'll I'll be completely honest, but we are called to love the church like Jesus did. And I just want to leave us with those things, to live with compassion, to live like a child, to live unconditionally, and to love his church. Jesus loved us so much that death couldn't hold him, and he lives forevermore. It's the greatest love story that there ever will be. Okay, so the challenge there, how can we live like Jesus? I was gonna, just going to close in prayer and, uh, yeah, cool. Father God, I just pray that, Father, as I've spoke this morning, Father God, if there's any rubbish, anything, you know, not worth listening to in there, Father God, that will disregard that, Father, but I pray that the challenge of, of living like you, of living like Jesus, Father, will be one of those things that, that rests in our hearts and it rests in our souls this week, Father God, where we see the need to be compassionate, Father God, would that just so move us into action, Lord God? Father, would we be a people that, that don't just feel the emotion of compassion, but do something about it, Father God? I pray that as a, as a, as, as a church and as individuals, Father God, that our ability to love will, will become so much bigger than our bodies. Father God, would it be the kind of love that you love people with, Father God? When people slight us, when people do us wrong, Father, would our ability to forgive be so strong, Lord God. 
Father, we remove bitterness from, from hearts, Lord God, and grudges and things like that, Father, and just help us to learn to love like a child, like you loved Jesus. Father, would you, would you help us to love unconditionally, Father? Would you help us to see the beauty in other people, Father God, before we see the wrongdoing and the failures, Father God? And for the church, Father God, would you help us to love the church like you love the church, Lord God? Father, would we be a people that, although we come from all sorts of walks of life and we don't necessarily fit together socially all the time, Lord God, would you just bind us together in love, Father God? Would we be a a people and a church that, that love like Jesus did, Father God? Not for any benefit of our own, Father God, but for your glory. Would people notice outside of this building that we are a people that, that love with compassion like a child and unconditionally, Father God? Amen.